the bottom line. Here we go. Jean Ellert, the Samaritan Women Institute for Shelter Care, friend, confidant, um, fellow warrior, fellow warrior, leader of this fight uh, for justice, for good, for redemption, restoration of people. Thank you. You've been and continue to be a warrior and a leader in in this in this battle against uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking, the exploitation of people. Um, but I love what I love most about you is how proactive you are about rebuilding. Mm. Right. And I think later in the show, you'll talk about uh, what I call your why, why you're in this. So welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to co-labor with you. And you're lighthearted. People ask me often, Yaku, you're still positive with all the stuff you guys talk about and see. And, and I, I really don't have a, an answer for that. It's not a pill. It's just, I guess it's because it's a calling and it's just, a, it's the Holy Spirit and it's a, just a God energy that says keep going and keep fighting. I, I think it is. I think that for me, getting the strength of the Lord, first of all, knowing that solving the world's problems is not on me, yeah, uh, is incredibly liberating. But, but I still have to do my part while I'm here, as we all do, right, and face some of the darkest things. But I do think that it's a matter of when you have a larger worldview, Right. When you see things more from an internal perspective, it is easier to say, I can laugh this momentary pain off. Um, this is just a momentary pain and, and stay focused on what the bigger battles are. And so, yeah, I do sometimes get a little silly and sometimes there's humor that seems rather irreverent. And so one of the things that's a blessing is being with people who are in the same space Yeah, because you can have your gallows humor and, yeah. uh, and just laugh it off for today and go back to doing the work. Yeah. But it's just also just waking up with the same vigor, you know, when I, the, all the stuff you're doing and it's just an incredible contribution, immeasurable contribution to to the community Thank you. and what you do in the fight against trafficking. And, and it's just, it's not, we will know one day we'll be in heaven and we will all go, what a glorious body of work, but we can't even measure. I mean, although you, you, we try to, and I'm sure you try to keep account for the years in Baltimore and the transition now, you know, to Kentucky, uh, to Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some sort of a metric, but not, I mean, how do we, measure when you impact one life what does that really do in culture you know we we have no idea well and you talk about it all the time in terms of play the long game yeah. right just play the long game and if you examine what you're doing or the contribution that you're making in the world and you think gosh the contribution i'm trying to make in the world is going to last to tuesday maybe you need a bigger goal yeah uh, right <laughs> Get a God-sized dream, a something God -sized something dream. man can't accomplish. Like, uh, let's move a ministry from Baltimore to Kentucky. Yeah, or let's make sure that there, every survivor everywhere in the nation has access to qualified and compassionate care. You know, that's, that's Audacious. A, a goal that's going to outlive my lifetime, but yes. it's worth pursuing. We must. Yeah. If, if not you, then who? For a time such as this. And look, and, and I'll say this in the front end of the show because I know many in our community is going to watch this because it's you. I appreciate every single human being organization that has a heart to fight this. Mm -hmm. I do. I really do. Just like in the body of Christ, some, though, are called to walk just in a different plane. Mm -hmm. It's not better. It's not worse. It's not more special. It's just it's an assignment. And, I, and God's given you an assignment. I think I've got a particular assignment. God's given you an assignment. 
that you're leading and and uh it's it's pivotal um but i want to dis i want to dismantle this whole conversation i'm just going to go for the jugular straight sure. off fastest growing form of trafficking is familial trafficking people people don't even know the meaning of the word mm -hmm. so to break it down it is literally a familiar figure a parent and i want you to define this for us a parent a coach someone i i called it uh, um someone who has proximity well, and I would qualify that just a bit to say that in order for it to meet the, the, the technical definition, familial has to be somebody who is, you could say, in a caregiver relationship. Okay. Somebody who has authority over that child, makes decisions for that child. But familial, from a legal perspective, is defined in one of two ways. Either it's consanguine, which means by blood, right? Yeah, and yeah. so these are your birth children, um, or this is your aunt by blood, right? So that's a consanguine relationship. And a lot of that comes out of the incest literature and how we understand that. Or it's a legal relationship. So if you think of uh, the man who married into a fam you know, a wife who already had children and he becomes the stepfather, he doesn't have a consanguine relationship, but he has a legal relationship as the custodial Guardianship, parent. custodial. Yeah. Exactly. And so we do have to look at those other relationships that have that kind of influence, like teacher, coach, clergy, et cetera. They don't fit the technical definition of familial though. And so one of the things that I think is so powerful about this type of abuse is that it forces us to think differently about exploitation because we've done a good job with awareness in educating people about force, fraud, and coercion as the means by which an individual is inducted into this uh, trade and retained in this trade. But very few of those elements need to be in place in a familial relationship. Yeah. You know, if you think about um, the example of uh, a child who grows up in a household where mom just has moods, right? And you know, oh, if mom looks a particular way, don't be so noisy. Like, take the toys outside. Whatever. A kid learns that. Absolutely. Oh, right? the way your mom said your name. The way your mom said your name. The right. way your if mom your said name, your name. Okay. <laughs> if you say your middle name, then you're in trouble. Right. There, there's uh, ice goes through your veins. Yeah. The way. Yeah. So if everybody who's listening would would latch onto that kind of memory, right? That there there were these unspoken ways of communicating within the family system coming up. To think what control a parent or an immediate relative has over a child, I don't have to hit you, right? I don't have look. to threaten you. It can be a look. It's a look. Exactly. So it's a different but scheme. even But even more powerful if there is a secret. That's right. If, if something is weaponized, if there's a family secret, if there's a personal secret. Now, I want to, again, we're just going for the jugular. You just completed, and we, we not quite yet, Becca, but we will get to this incredible study you did on familial trafficking. Mm -hmm. There's a weird dynamic that definitely played a role in my life. And I'm calling it the granting of access. And really what it is, is it's spiritual contracts. It's, it's soul ties. Hypothetically, pick a kid. You know, let's say his name is John. John comes from an underprivileged area in town. Maybe they're poor, there's no father. To John, John may grant access to a coach. That's not, that's not giving that coach legal guardianship, mm -hmm. but he is granting soul tie stewardship 
to the coach over him. Mm-hmm. That coach now, at least to John, this is me, many coaches, right? And I didn't have the ability, and we get back to should a child be able to talk about sex at five? We do not have the ability. There's no even a conversation. I didn't have the ability to know you know, nefarious intent. Right. And would, I mean, and praise God I wasn't abused. We understand my sister went through trafficking, but I mean, it could have been like that and it could have been me. Easily. But I made very bad decisions as a child and how could I, about who's the male figure that I want to trust because I was so desperate for male influence, right? Mm-hmm. So I granted access, incredible access. I mean, coaches could tell me to jump off a bridge. I mean, for some, I did things that, I mean, was... Dangerous for my own health mm-hmm. in sport. Mm-hmm. That's an area for me where I go, whoa, okay. It's not legal guardianship. It's not technically familial. Mm-hmm. But the predator is very intelligent in that sense of how to lure the prey. Sure. Right? It's almost degrees of intimacy, yeah. right? And the and the uh, closeness, physical proximity, relational proximity that the individual has. And so if we look at the eye of the storm of proximity, yeah. that's going to be the custodial parent. 100%. Right? Because the they true familial truly, and they, condition. They control the environment. They control the culture. They control the patterns, the rhythms, the rules, the, the whole climate in which the child is being raised. They also have unbelievable control socially, right? Because if said kid is being sold by her mother, and statistically, it's more often the mother, is being Which so- is shocking. People don't even, I mean, the, 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 the pimp in today's culture has become the mom. In familial. In familial, yeah, in, the, in this city. 68% of familiar. the time, yeah. And so, it, but, but play this scene out in terms of not being able to identify that child is in an abusive situation because if that mom gets a phone call from the school, heaven forbid that that child, you know, has been truant and somebody actually notices yeah. and the mom says, you know, basically no problem. I've got this. We, we take our hands off the wheel right? absolutely, because that's the custodial parent. That's she right. has the authority to make those decisions by for law. the child by law. Exactly. So it's that coupling of not only consanguine, but also legal relationship and proximity and intimacy. And so it really is, um, it challenges us to the way we have to look at exploitation. Um, I will say this, and I don't mean this to be unfair to people, but I know oftentimes men really struggle with how do I get involved in this issue, right? What what can I do? And unfortunately, we've, through media and whatnot, sold them on this false you know, Rambo, bank, push the door down, kind of, you know, go in there and steal those children back. And I have found that I've had to say in a very provoking way, what are you going to do when you bang the door down and the perpetrator's mom? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do in that moment? And what do you think the child's response is going to be? You might be successful in getting that child out of the home for 48 hours, but whether it's the court system that puts the child back yeah. or the child says, where do you want to go? Yeah, back to mom. Right, because the cost. Yeah. Absolutely. The cost of living a life without a parent as a child is too great of a question to ask a child to make. And so it really disrupts the way. And I think that's part of what provoked this study. Um, that and the fact that after serving this population in residential care, so you have it, intimacy, you have proximity. You're doing life with these girls. 
on average just i'm just going to weave it in so people have an understanding when we talk shelters safe houses you know four to eight 49 fluctuating right is what we in capacity yeah normally is um, kind of... i would say that the average shelter home in the united states has about eight beds okay mm -hmm. and so if you think of the that's enough of access to a person right you can have real relationships yes. which is partly yes. why it's working at those smaller sizes yeah so our capacity was higher. We could get up to about 11, 12 in ours. But still, over the course of a 10, 12-year period of time and seeing women referred from all over the country and some minors as well, um, particularly with the minors, hearing dynamics in their family relationships that just don't add up. There was just strange conversations that took place. And I'm not talking about just not matching my middle-class Midwestern upbringing. But just when you hear a mom say something on a phone and you think, why would she say that? That seems so odd. Anyway, it built this puzzle over a period of time where I said, something's off here. And I think those are some of the skills you get in this work yes. where you almost can kind of sniff it out and say, yeah. something's off, yeah. something's not right. Well, you it's know? human behavioral science. I mean, and it's that and it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. you know, saying something's off. And so I started to probe into this by just calling some law enforcement friends, some investigators across the country here in Texas and in Philadelphia and down in uh, Kentucky and, um, and just saying, how often are you seeing that there's a family actor? involved yeah. in this. And I was getting just anecdotal statistics anywhere from 10% to 90%. These people who are on the ground doing the work, going in the homes, you know, making the arrests, we're seeing it in such high numbers. I said, this is ridiculous. 10 to 90% of a prevalence yeah, range so, yeah, yeah. is unmanageable. We've yeah. got to get a better sense yeah. of that. And so this study, um, I'll tell you just, uh, just briefly for your listeners. So this particular study was an effort to can we begin to suggest better prevalence? Can we understand the characteristics? And what are the unique challenges that familial presents that's just different yes. from other types of trafficking cases? And in the prevalence realm, what this study and the literature yielded is that familial is about 26 to 47%, so roughly a quarter to a half of child trafficking cases. So I just want to pause that for yeah, a second. Yeah, I just breathe. I just want people to consume that for a second. Breathe. Because we just had a definition. And yes, I created a bit of a gray area saying, okay, when a child grants access, that that non legally non-familial individual has that kind of access and oversight over a child. But if we just go back to the raw definition of the word, what is familial? Because once we go into the gray area, oh, that's a whole nother number. Well, and frankly, to justify your... Um, pushing those boundaries is then you think father figure correct right and now talk about the inner city black community now exactly. talk about i mean it's it, it, so so but 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 it actually points to the absolute catastrophe of the problem if we just go by definition which you did of what is truly familial mm -hmm. we're talking up to 40 something percent 47. of cases mm -hmm. Th that is an indicator to culture that should be the most shocking indicator to our nation. And we're talking about America here. Mm -hmm. This is not a study about Cambodia nope. or the Philippines. I was raised in Bangkok. This is, this it, this is here is, in America. This is the 50 states of the United States. Mm -hmm. To think that, by definition, predominantly, the mother is the seller of the child. Mm -hmm. Now, buyers, we understand, is predominantly men. Mm -hmm. 
but we're talking about a child that came out of the womb of that woman mm-hmm. or maybe an adopted child, maybe custodially in foster care, mm-hmm. CPS, mm-hmm. legal right over the child. You're right. Is the perpetrator. That is shocking. Mm-hmm. And it's created a landscape to my experience that is very difficult to handle on the back end because it's a completely different circumstance of abuse. It is. And that's why we wanted to look at characteristics because we wanted to see what distinguishes this type of exploitation and particularly child exploitation. This study was unique from what's been in the literature because of the five studies I could find of familial trafficking in the United States. And that's not a lot of five. five. Um, So I did a lot of probing into the incest literature to see what I could borrow from that and learn from that. This particular um, study had a much larger sample than those other five. The largest of those other five studies was 157 cases. Cases, This particular study was 3,505 cases. And so it was a very large sample. Significantly larger. Significantly larger, which helps with the credibility of, of the findings. The characteristics, so I'll just rattle off a few, but you can look at them on the website. Yeah, maybe Becca, you want to pull pull that up as Jean goes and she can reference sure. some of them. Yeah. So in terms of who the perpetrator is, is biological mother, 68% of the time. The second most common configuration was biological mother plus paramour. So think mom plus boyfriend. Okay. Right? That kind of situation. Interestingly enough, an emerging finding out of this study was when there was a male involved in the perpetration, there was more often the uh, child was also being used for the manufacture of pornography. The women largely were not producing pornography, but if there was a male involved, that would be the derivative revenue stream was pornography. So what that says to me immediately is we've got to, in law enforcement and investigation and courts, make sure that our departments don't have those who are looking at child sexual abuse material Right and cyber crimes completely removed from those who are examining trafficking crimes. You can't. You can't because they're interrelated, as you well know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the from the perpetrators now in this particular study, if we scroll down, so you can go to the SamaritanWomen.org forward slash familial. We'll put it. We'll put it in on screen. But walk us through this, Jean. Yeah. So we found that the age of victims was higher. So we know, and we've we've talked about this in the anti-trafficking space, that the average induction for a child is 11 to 13. Yes. For familial, we saw a much older audience. Interesting. 14 though. to 17. Well, but when I get to modalities, you'll, okay. you'll connect the dots very easily. We wanted to see what were the risk factors that were prevalent. And so you, for example, talked about, you know, is it inner city? Is it is it fatherlessness? Is it poverty? And yes, in... 87 to 89% of the time, we are looking at households where there's co-occurring risk factors of poverty, of substance abuse, of other existing criminal behavior, and of the child intersecting with the welfare system. So what In that, familial trafficking. In familial trafficking. Yeah. So what that says is these families are already on our radar. Yes. They're already on our radar. It isn't as if, oh my gosh, we don't know where this is happening. We do. They're in yeah. disparate systems criminal justice system, child welfare system. We just haven't connected the dots. So let's take a look at a a couple of other things, if you would scroll down there. Um, So we talked about the biological mother and then mother plus boyfriend. 
we found in this particular study, there was a, a, a significant shift in terms of the motive. So historically, all five studies, right, that are out there yeah. um, said that the most predominant motive was to sell the child for cash. So economic imperative, you would say, okay. right? Um, here, it's drugs. It switched over to drugs. Now, this sample, this is important for us to understand, this sample of cases was between 2018 and 2021. So we've got to layer on top of that what's going on in our country between 18 and 21. Yeah. Right? Influx of a lot of new drug trade. And and, and different and different again. This set the, 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 this set of data is familial trafficking data. And it is different than the non-familial situations. There, there's nuance, but it's different. I mean, because here what I'm hearing you say is it's predominantly driven by the mom for drugs for, for, drugs for herself. Mm-hmm. Where outside of familial, it's I, I think the leading cause is still finance. Yeah, it's, the motivation and is motivation still is still money. Mm-hmm. But interesting here, mm-hmm. um, and then you get to where we are on things like our border crisis, opioids skyrocketing, fentanyl skyrocketing. So, so what I'm hearing yeah. you say, and correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong, the trickle down effect always somehow ends up with the child. I mean, yeah. the child pays. Absolutely. Absolutely. I invest, uh, interviewed one particular investigator who really helped frame it because she's been doing this for 10 years. And she said that because of the mind altering severity of the drugs that are available today, we, she very much sees the mom who has no, not only moral framework, but literally is out of her mind. Yeah. Right. So when we say that abhorrent, like how could a mother Right? Like you said, she birthed this child. A logical mother could not, but she's not. not. She's not logical. Mm -hmm. She's out of her mind. And so that's not an excuse. Like a zombie. But it is helping us to perhaps wrap our brain around the, the how could a mother sell her own child? Well, she's not in a rational thought pattern, right? And so I think that's something worth us um, understanding. So no, absolutely. I want to go look at venues, though, because I think this is something that really blew me away in the results of this. I entered into this study thinking that familial trafficking was always happening in the home, right? You, you're texting some people, you know some guys at wherever, right? It's the community. It's, it's the, the community. Yeah, yeah. It's the within network. your... The controlled group of network, yeah. And, and, and had mentalized this idea of the child's being abused in her own bed, right, mm-hmm. in her own room. And that is to say that that still exists. But look at how fascinating the comparison between the 2021 study and the 2020 on venues. And what I want to call out, you'll see differences in those bars there. In 2020, I didn't even ask, so I did a pre-study. I didn't even ask whether or not the child was being sold online because it never occurred to me that a A mom would do that. Would risk the exposure. Yeah, the exposure. And it's high risk. Yeah, It's high risk. You have a digital trail the minute you go online, right? So I'm thinking, no, this all has to be word of mouth, right? Now, these were... I I say this for the benefit of your listeners to know, we go in sometimes with these blinders and then we go, whoa, wait a minute, I got to think about this differently. So we didn't have data for 2020, but number one out of these 3,000 cases, the child was being sold online. Here we go again. 
yeah. why are not the cyber crimes people? Which, 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 honestly, Gene, and in look, 2020, if you asked me in 2020, I would have said, just because I've been focusing on online so much with big tech. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the trail, again, there's a trail, big tech, and how big tech has been complicit, and this is Yaku saying this, not Gene, but I think you agree, being complicit and for these platforms being manipulated, no, the platforms were not built for that intention, but look, criminals are going to find a way, mm -hmm. right? and they access these platforms. There's a risk, but man, the, the, the ease of use and the frequency of not having to build the network and the time involved, and then you layered on top of, I need drugs now. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised that it that the mother would take the risk and have an enterprise yeah. online. Well, an overlay on top of just this little data set, we're also talking about during period of lockdowns. Yes. Right? So and during the period of up. lockdowns, if we go down to number two, transported to mm -hmm. the buyer's location. We know very well, and we've got we've got high-ranking politicians and high-ranking cable network executives that have been arrested mm -hmm. during lockdown, where the mother took the kids yeah. on an airplane. Yeah, the CNN producer flew mm -hmm. across country mm -hmm. for her daughter to be groomed and, and and be trafficked in return for you know. So it's insane. Yeah. Or he's doing sexual training lessons yes, online, online with the mother and the daughter. The mom right? has become the pimp. It's such an interesting, it, that, that's such a great study to follow because it forces us to ask the question. We can focus on and, and even, you know, demonize the, the man in that scenario. But the news stories from that really did not talk much about the role of the mother. And we have to it, think. Didn't, with it hardly frowned upon it. Right. With intention, like, what we... she put her child on a plane. She went with the child, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, taking them to another location, taking them to a motel, taking them, um, you know, out in a vehicle. So, you see that there is a much higher prevalence of the child. Here's what I think uh, of the child being outside of the home. This fascinates me because then when we have those signs that say, see something, say something, when the child is outside of the home, there's a much greater chance that somebody at that motel sees something. Yeah, for right? sure. That somebody in that parking lot or that strip club or that I argue, whatever. I argue there's always somebody, just today, with cameras. And you, right. I mean, come on. Somebody saw. Right. At least something. They don't know what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different conversation. But, I mean, it's very hard today to completely do things completely in the dark. Well, and in a tragic way, this was actually encouraging to me because mm -hmm. yes. yes, then yes. there's perhaps even a chance, a that, chance that we could apprehend this. So now layer that back to the age, 14 to 17. Yeah. 74% of the, the uh, respondents to this study said that they had apprehended a juvenile who was engaged in commercial sex and thought the child was willfully participating in that activity on her or his own accord, only to find out later through investigation that the agent was a familial member. So two things out of that. If they're saying upwards of three quarters of the time 
their first interaction with the child was thinking, here's a 17-year-old girl who's prostituting. Yes, Right? And correct. all the error yeah, that goes yeah. with that statement. Yeah, and forget about the law right. and just everything else we know as a community. Just there's a lot wrong with that statement. But yeah. So you put these together and you begin to create almost a picture that says, okay, now I've got a 16, 17-year-old girl who is at a motel. I'm making a leap of judgment that says that that child was there of her own accord. But what I'm missing, unless I do some thoughtful investigation, is who drove her there. Mom. Right? Mom, mom's boyfriend, yeah. right? Brother, who, whomever. Who set that date up? Those types of things, I think, is where we have to go a little deeper. So I hope that um, this study and what we learned about not only these characteristics, but the unique challenges. And I want to talk about just two of those challenges. We jump sometimes hastily into, oh my gosh, then we have to fix this without spending a little thoughtful time about the nuances. And one of the nuances, not so subtle actually, is a child is not going to testify against a parent. It does not matter how, I mean, it is rare. It's, it's uh, I mean, it's hard enough to get a victim to self-identify as a victim. Mm -hmm. You know, as well as I do, to get a victim to testify against anybody. And whether that's healthy even, you know, at what age. A child against a parent? Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'd be shocked. Right. So you take the girl, the case that was in Virginia, where her mother was, she's 15 years old, and her mother was buying the clothing and driving her to the boat where the perpetrator was, because Ma, and even taking pictures of her every day, according to his instructions. And so she's doing all of that setup. She transports the child to this location. He molests the child, photographs the child. He's creating pornography as a result of that. He's now convincing the child that she needs to go recruit a 14-year-old yep. to, you know, bring into this mm -hmm. disaster, right? And so in all of this, one, the news never represented that the co-conspirator was the biological mother. And so that's a problem. We're not really getting the whole story. And two, the child is not going to testify against her mother because that's the only family she has, right? It, I lose mom. I lose it's, everything. It's life. It is. It is. So that's one of the huge errors that we make in just assuming we can tackle this like any other crime. Go get the bad guy and that solves the problem. No. Oh, my gosh. Right? No. I mean, I don't even know that people know. When you rescue a child, the mountain mm -hmm. that you've got to climb in mm -hmm. the first 24 hours, 36 hours, 82 days. Rest of her life. Right, is insane. Mm -hmm. Where does this child go if it's the parent? Right. And, and, and even if it, the child goes back to a home with parents, the parents are not equipped to deal with, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a nightmare, but something just dawned on me. And this is so Satan. The amount of work, what we would call, what culture would call a pimp, a groomer, a, a predator, mm -hmm. the amount of work a predator has to do online and I argue at times to earn the girl's heart. And they uh -huh. do. Uh -huh. They earn their heart. Oh, sure. Okay. Which, which is why people then confuse. Well, she's self-exploiting. She's up against a master. And she's got and she's no skill. Child. And she's a child. Okay. It's, it's, it's no contest. Uh -huh. But anyway, the amount of work that has to go into him building that rapport, establishing the stronghold, the foothold, the soul tie spiritually... The amount of work he, normally men, but some women, 
has to do to get to the place to exploit, the familial figure doesn't even, it's built in. Yeah. From it birth. It is. Are you familiar with the Maslow Triangle? Mm-hmm. Right? The hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So I do a program with, when I teach folks in this in this space where essentially what the perpetrator, the external perpetrator has to do, and let's just focus on the recruiter, yeah. right? What the recruiter has to do is two things. They have to enter in at the point of vulnerability. So yep. I have to first figure out, is your vulnerability down here? What is the vulnerability? Needs? Yeah. Is it up here at love and belonging? So once I find my entry point, where's the crack, right? Then what I have to do is I have to do a deconstruction yep. to get to the lowest common basal need and control you at the lowest possible need level because, frankly, that's just efficient, right? It works. It works. Yeah. So the perpetrator, the external perpetrator, has to find the vulnerability and then deconstruct. To your point, artfully stated, that's a lot of work. If you look at the Maslow's tri- Triangle of Need, the parent controls all levels. Yes. And with all a levels. with a long history. Mm-hmm. With no understanding with understanding behavior. Because the parent can also just look at the child and and the child is sending signals. It's two ways. Yep. We said earlier the child a look from the parent. Yep. But th- there's no deconstructing have to happen. It's built in. Right. Right. It's like a fast track. Right. Right. Which is which which makes sense to me why it is the fastest rising form. And there's other lying factors too. Drugs, the infusion of drugs, the normalization mm-hmm. of drugs in our culture and society, the lack of responsibility. Fatherlessness. Fatherlessness, mm-hmm. getting rid of God and culture. Yep. You know, and, and I want to, if I could, just tie this together. Fastest rising religion, and they say it's not, is atheism. It's a religion. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But when when you are self-deifying as God, the pressure that you're now by will surmounting on your own shoulders, mm-hmm. you're going to cave and you're by default going to fall into some coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So with this vicious cycle, if there's not a God where your hope is in future and you are whatever they think they are, the be-all and end-all, you can't survive that. So it's almost like it it creates a higher demand for coping mechanisms. And now you've got drugs readily available. We're legalizing contraband activity. We're in influxuation of drugs in our country. Mm-hmm. So it's just this vicious cycle to set it up. It's perfect storm mm-hmm. to go, you know what? Hey, you know, I've got a daughter. That's a means to an end. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then off you go. And a lot of the work in out external predator would have to do it's just there already well and i don't want to totally dispirit your listeners but it is not only the unbelievable influence that a familial actor has in the child's life but a child today is also being raised in context right in context of if if that child is online if that child is being indoctrinated in other ways if she at 14 is being told Girl, you got a moneymaker in them britches, mm-hmm. right? And oh, she's and being told that socially, golly. and then she's having that as her empirical reality. We, we've set a whole new trajectory for this generation. Generation, I, Dan doesn't have a microphone because he he switches and controls the show. But Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm going to completely paraphrase, okay? But just guide me through this and, and yell if you have to. 
Dan drives. Car's broken down on the side of the road. This is recent. I mean, maybe five months ago. Is it five, six months ago? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Car breaks down. There's a broken down car. Dan, as he's raised right, pulls over. It's a, it's a mom with multiple kids. Yes. Okay. It's a flat tire. Mm-hmm. Dan goes and... Did you fix the, you fix the tire? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan fixes she, the... She couldn't even figure out how to get it out of the car. Mom didn't know how to get the tire out of the car. The whole deal. Dan fixes the tire. Mom goes ahead and instructs the child. Or how did that conversation between you and the child happen? She... She gave her the instructions. Yeah. To say what? Well, to... Yeah. To offer a... Reward him. To offer a form of payment Mm -hmm. to Dan. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 It came from the mom. But it came from the mom. Mm -hmm. The mom instructs... How old was the girl, do you think, Dan? 12? 13? Yeah, 12. 12. Mom instructs the girl, go be nice to the man. I'm paraphrasing. Okay? But go be nice to the man. Mm-hmm. And and we should reward him. Okay, so. And the girl comes to Dan and. Uh, let me let me use that as just such a helpful launch point to one of the huge challenges. So one of the big challenges that came out from prosecutors in particular, but also the investigators, is they say courts won't take these cases. The word was always the same because they're messy. Yeah. Right. So it's not only what am I going to do with that child? It's not only I get the child, but I also get the entire family system Mm -hmm. that I have to deal with. Right. Because mom and mom, boyfriend and all of that uncle and all of that comes with the package. So it gets messier. Foster dad, CPS, whatever. Yeah. But then you add to that. The evidence is going to be so elusive. One, you're not going to have a child that testifies against a parent. And two, if you get if you get testimony. What is the testimony? Be nice to him. Yeah. But the child knows what that means. But now unless the child but unless the child but unless the child testifies, but the child's also indoctrinated to this is normal. Uh, But do you you see that that the prosecutor has nothing because it's like being nice to somebody is not a crime. But be nice in that family means Right, but Go to the back seat. That's not the law. That's not the way the law is going to interpret it. And, and so it's so tricky. You know, we we had we were screening eight days, our film, which everybody I encourage them to watch. Katie Walker, the actress that plays the mom, people got really confused because people actually thought that, you know, Nicole, small and the actress was trafficked, mm. and I'm glad that they felt like it's so real. So we'd approach Katie all the time. How did you deal with it? And mm. she's like, Listen, I'm an actress. Well, at one premiere, I think it was Portland think so in the middle of the movie there would always be women leaving and then we'd catch them in the lobby and they would be literally watching a film on trafficking but actively being trafficked and the awareness happens or had rape been raped so this one girl teenager walks up to katie and she goes i I didn't know Mm. i didn't is that trafficking go yeah go that's my life Mm -hmm. that happens to me every day you know that's exactly how i met the second survivor i've ever worked with in my life and I was doing a speech and I kept saying in the speech there's no such thing as a child prostitute right this was back when we were trying to reframe the language and get people and I must have said it maybe four times you know emphatically within that speech and there was a 40 plus year old woman standing in the back row and she made a beeline right after and she came up to me and all she said was say it again yeah and I knew in that moment I knew knew exactly what she wanted to hear and then, and so I said, there's no such thing as a child prostitute. She looked me flatly, almost 
blankedly and said, that's all I've ever been. And I was like, we need to talk. Yeah. Right. And that started a yeah. 15 year relationship. You Th- know? This, praise God. This kid says to Katie, my mom taught me. Mm-hmm. And she said in, in, in our interview in, in the documentary Sex Nation that that's we're working on, Katie in her interview is crying in the documentary. And she says, the girl, this is the first time it hit home for her as an actress. Now she played the role in the movie and then she came face to face with these survivors because mm-hmm. we toured the actors with us so they could see, right? And this girl says to Katie, my mom told me, um, if you don't have anything else, baby girl, you always have this, mm-hmm. right? And you were talking about Moneymaker. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the term Moneymaker. How prevalent is it in rap culture? Mm. How much is it rented about? Shake your Moneymaker, Moneymaker. It's normalization over time. I want people to understand nothing happens overnight. Mm-hmm. We don't just arrive as the modern day, which we are, Sodom and Gomorrah, right. the United States. Right. It's a slow forfeit. It's inch by inch. Satan is very patient. Mm-hmm. I wish we were as patient as Christians. I wish we invested as much effort and energy. Play the long game. Play the long game, right? But we arrive, and then one day you wake up as a parent and go, wait, it's in my neighborhood. How did this happen? Or it's in my home. Mm-hmm. Or... Or it's my daughter's best friend. My daughter's best friend. And how much influence? Or is your that? pastor gets arrested, or his right. marriage falls apart because of sexual immorality, etc. And so, there are signs, Gene. Mm-hmm. But you can only see what you know, to a degree, mm-hmm. unless it smacks you, right? And unfortunately, some families get smacked. My family got smacked. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's radical, but it's there. And then one morning you wake up and go, "How did this happen?" Uh, and now we're talking about. Okay, let me ask you this question. In your study, and I don't know if you did a geographical map on this, but I have my version of an answer, but I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Okay, And if we disagree, we, we, we're going to love as we disagree. Is this always inner city? Is it, is it, we know extreme poverty is the, is the, that's the norm. But tell me about familial trafficking, about what we would conceive to be a, quasi-normal family in, in those neighborhoods. Yeah, and unfortunately, the study didn't delve deep into a, uh, geography. It focused on um, representing what states were there. I would say Ohio okay. had the most number of respondents uh, to the survey portion of it, but it didn't go into whether they were urban or rural. Now, once I unpacked who actually responded to the study and the individuals that I interviewed, they came from very mixed communities. Okay. Um, largely the ones that were the most active were where that jurisdiction has made anti-trafficking a priority. Mm-hmm. The most successful cases that were represented are those that we could infer come from slightly larger jurisdictions because they had multidisciplinary teams. So if you're in Howard County, Virginia, yeah. and you and have, that's a money matter. Yeah, it's, do they Maryland, have the re- sorry. Yeah, you have you have one. Yeah, anti-trafficking person, right? A person is the task force. So yeah. the most successful ones came from these multidisciplinary. So we'll infer that those were metropolitan areas or at least larger jurisdictions. I do think that we've got to get into some more of those social factors. Um, two of the studies of the five that I referenced came from the state of Kentucky. And I don't by any means want to suggest that Kentucky has more of a problem than anybody else, but I will suggest they're worth, they are willing to study it. They're yes. willing to look at it. 
And I think that if we are, to your point about information, a bit more courageous to say, let's look at this problem. And that's really my hope with this study is that this will get picked up by Office of the Attorney General, by governors, uh, by sheriffs who will say, hey, Bob, Janice, Go find this out in our There's community. some core Go indicators in this out. study. And I'm right. telling you, I'm telling you, you know, we work with law enforcement. They do not have what you present. They do not have. Right. This is critical. I mean, five studies as far as we can trace back in humanity. That's mm -hmm. laughable. Yeah. And, and then the disparity between, what was it, 100 and something to 3,500 cases. Mm -hmm. and, and those are real cases. We... I'm going to make the argument. We stumbled the rural communities... These small little, what we would call podoc flyover states, one gas station towns. Mm -hmm. Gene, the stuff we're we we walked into a hornet's nest. Mm -hmm. I was invited to go to a, uh, an anti-trafficking uh, presentation and a speech at a church in a community in in uh, in West Texas. Well, the pastor said, "Well, you should come speak at the church, and you should speak at the school." And so the pastor called the principal, two schools, very well-known schools, big football schools, mm. monster rivalry. I mean, insane rivalry. They live for football. Mm. Small town Texas is football, right? Where's everybody Friday night at the game? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we stumble upon, I'm doing a speech at this, you know, I'm on, on, in the gymnasium floor and there's kids both sides, middle and high school. And God's just downloading to me. And I'm just identifying crazy things, seeing crazy things. Well, it was like someone went door to door and like wildfire spread through that town we're sitting at a you know at a diner eating afterwards and people walk into the diner who weren't even at the school parents and coming some talking to us some seeing a girl shows up with her mom and said can i tell you what's going on in this town well long story short that night we had an, an event and we unravel one mom i hear this woman screaming outside the room i'm speaking to to the mayor and and police and the highway patrol and you know the pastor. This is women screaming outside. And there's a commotion. They go out and they come to me and go, hey, this is mom here that says she will not leave until she talks to you. I thought, okay, what's up? So we wait. The whole thing's done. But a couple of police officers won't leave. So I'm thinking, okay, they're sticking around. you know. So I'm meeting with the mom and the pastor. And the mom goes, you need to talk to my daughter, but she won't come in. You got to go out to the car. I said, okay. So I finally speak to this girl. She unveils that she's being trafficked, but she's being forced to make porn. She's an, an eighth grader. We uncover 52 eighth graders mm. that are in a porn ring between these two schools in these two neighboring towns in West Texas. 52. Mm. Both quarterbacks of both high schools are the conductors of the orchestration. But the porn goes to college campuses, grown men interact, and this particular child is having a mental breakdown because her her induced self-made porn as an eighth grader spread like wildfire. She had close to a million, you know, just under a million hits on, on this. You know, Canada just, uh, not recently, about two years ago, produced a terrific study um, on children who had suffered child abuse, who were uh, children who had adults who had suffered child sexual abuse and the long-term effects. What was so incredible about this study 
was as soon as they got into this, and it was thousands of cases, once they got into this, they realized there was a clear bifurcation of those who had more long-lasting, pernicious, and difficult recoveries. They were consistently the individuals for whom there was also pornography being manufactured. Yes. And it was a terrific study. I've not seen anything like it in the U.S., but it's a great study for to understand child sexual abuse is going to lead lifetime pain, right? You will walk wounded the rest of your days, right? You, you, you don't come out of that unscathed. But there is always reason for hope and redemption yes. and, and the ability to walk well, right? But you don't come back to war forgetting about war. No. Right? And, and Christ is going to heal. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. but you remember war. But what yeah. this study shocks us with is the very reality that, yes, now she's 30 years old, and that abuse was when she was 8, 12, etc., and the physical abuse is over, and she's in the healing journey. For survivors (coughs) for whom there was sexual abuse material created, it doesn't end. No. They're 40 years old, wondering who's going to see it. It's out there. It never goes away, and so... It's such a great study to understand that they're saying, I might as well still be molested. I've heard that from survivors. It's so, it's and such this, an important And this point. kid, and then we know how difficult it is to get imminent domain, how to get that back. Right. You know, um, right. who's the author of, you know, who's the publisher? And, and now we get into section 230. It's, it's a yeah. mess. It's an yeah. absolute mess. So, so these, so we dive into this police chief involved county judge involved now removed but it was a network mm. in this, these two little towns and no one ever looked mm. so it was hiding in plain sight all while the victims of this very well knew i can't call the police mm-hmm. i can't call the football coach mm-hmm. i can't call the principal so we spoke at one school and i had two schools booked back to back two days apart because of what happens that night, the principal of the following school cancels. I go, wait a minute. I'm coming in to bring awareness and educate your student body on online predatory behavior. Why would you cancel that? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, now, almost two years in, he's involved. Right. He, and it was this ring. Mm-hmm. So what I want to say is this. Yes, in, in, in the big cities, more money, more resource to maybe study. But in these little towns particularly where there's transient people. Mm-hmm. And this is West Texas. It's oil. So man camps, they work for a season and they leave. They show mm-hmm. up. I mean, it's it's transient people. Sure. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and it, get, it can get hidden. It's like the secrets of a little town can get hidden. And no one's looking. Mm-hmm. No one is exploring. So I think you said if we're bold enough, audacious enough to go ask certain questions and explore I think if we really have a very proactive approach like you have in this, the numbers are going to, I mean, I think the true actual numbers of what we have in culture, I don't know that we can even fathom what it really looks like if we turn every rock. Well, I think we err when we think that this is going to be a simple answer, right? I think that that's that's an exercise in folly. And so, you yeah. know, for this finding to be that people don't want to take these cases because they're messy, we should anticipate they're all going to be messy yeah, on a level. Yeah, you possible. know, I'm working through a book right now that I ordered from the UK. Um, and it 
it is on, it's called organized sexual abuse. And he's coined this particular phrase. And the reason I pulled this up was because it, he says organized sexual abuse is different because it becomes a whole system and it, and it's defined by multiple perpetrators and multiple victims. So you, he, he says, basically we're talking about, uh, institutional. So think of the Catholic church, right? The whole system, right? So that's institutional. Then he characterizes network as organized Jeffrey Epstein, right? Relational networks, those kinds of things football and it could be a community. micro micro network or a macro network it could be small like that 52 ring in a town or it could be yeah. as 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 wide as an epstein multiple countries planes and what i found fascinating was he lumped familial in under that because it you if we think of families as a system right a family system it's a network it is a network it is it is its own institution and yeah. my goodness don't we say that family as an American institution, mm-hmm. right? And so it's such an interesting study because we is have- this, Is this it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not at a price point for everybody. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I just wanted to see. No, I'm not asking yeah. people, but I wanted to see. It's really good. Uh, I mean, it's it's dense. He gets into a lot of social cultural factors okay. and things like Thanks, that. Thanks, Becca. But the point is, I think that we also have to recognize that when we try to apprehend or intervene in a case like this, we've got to have the appetite for the next set of questions. That's right. What if? What's the next layer? Yeah. Right? It's not enough to say, Jeffrey Epstein, bad guy. Uh, no. Right? Oh it's goodness. not enough. Yeah. Well, but I think sometimes do, we, we want yeah. things to be clean. Well, we want to fi- we want to find Billy the Kid as Americans. Just find the bank robber. Yeah. Find the one guy. Yeah. F- okay, we found you know Weinstein. Great, Hollywood is safe. I'm like, uh, come on, tip people. Of tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there ever was that analogy of eighty percent is under the surface. I mean, yeah. yeah, no question. But culturally, people, what I'm hearing you say, and it's I agree a thousand percent. Yeah, this is. Through COVID, and I know you got this through COVID. So rescue the kids from the tunnels, and right. I'm like, oh my god, please, it does not help, right? And and if you could, if you did tonight, rescue a hundred children from some tunnel under Central Park, which was completely bogus, what would you do with these kids? Mm-hmm. Didn't think about that, did you? Right. It is so messy. One case, decades of therapy. If you can keep the survivor alive. Mm-hmm. And if you can keep the child from not going back to that bond, which is the biggest problem that minor serving agencies have. I know, but can you please talk to that? Can you please just let people know? So it's not always crazy Yaku talking about this. How often... Add crazy gene to the equation. Well, I mean, (laughs) look, just having you here gives me a lot of credibility. But people like Yaku, it's just you. I'm like, no, okay, come, gene alert. You know, forerunner in, 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 in that care you know cycle how often do we see the survivor the child re-enter run back mm-hmm. run away grown women adults leave shelter safe houses run away because you can't keep them against their will right talk to me about that just a little bit sure so right now in the u.s we have 213 programs shelter programs that 
provide specific care to victims of trafficking, but they're small. Like I said, they average about eight beds. The minors' facilities tend to be a bit larger. There are 66 programs across the United States that serve minors specifically. What we're hearing from that population is they will see anywhere from an 80 to 100% AWOL rate. We have to understand, so that's the kid running away. Couple of things are at play. One, we have to lean on to what we know about brain science and realize that a child's undeveloped brain has a limited number of tools in his toolkit, right? They don't have the resources to say, well, I'll just go out and start a company and you know be self-sufficient. It's folly, right? We have to understand that that 15-year-old or 16-year-old or 12-year-old, right, is operating out of maybe even less than, but at that brain maturity. Running away is about the only tool in their toolkit. So uh, the flight response is predominant. They don't have the physical strength to fight yep. and they don't have the cognitive strength to while their way out of it. So flight is going to be the default posture. We have a, a program that we work with in Tennessee and she says it's 100% of the time, but we just build the system with that expectation. Now, in parallel, so that's coming from the victim perspective. Now let's look at the system perspective. We culturally recoil at the idea of locking up a child, mm -hmm. right? We have all of the things about you can't arrest a child when sometimes the on-the-ground police officer says yeah, that's the yeah, only I mean, way People to don't want you to discipline your child, which is anti-God 100%. I mean, but still, Completely. yes. We have the you can't put kids in cages, right? We got the whole thing about you, you, you have to have this um, very open, porous, and I would say vulnerable construct up against an individual who doesn't have the resources to manage that kind of liberty. Who I would argue, and, I, and this is proven, every child, they cry out for boundaries. They desperately, I'm a father of three. They desperately want boundaries. Desperately. They want you to set boundaries for them. And this is where we are as a culture. We are we are letting the child, mm -hmm. you know, these programs now in, in school, and it's called child-led. As we, you know, we have a survivor-led, you know, conversation. But child-led, child cannot lead their education. My goodness, have we uh, abdicated uh, our role completely? Uh, completely. Now we want a child that's sexually compromised, that's abused, that's emotionally destroyed. Mm -hmm. The, the, the self-worth is not there. Identity is not there. Somehow, all of a sudden, we now want to build a system. We go, the child will tell us what's good for the child. And you cannot do X, Y, Z to protect the child from him or herself mm -hmm. even. Never mind the predator. Mm -hmm. No, society says, no, you can't do that. It's insane. It is insane. It is insane. And so we're, we're, we see that, yes, there is a high propensity for children to run. We refuse to put the safeguards in place. I heard in the study time and time again, the officers in particular would say, if I could just get the kid to a place where they could get a little breathing room, a little space to see that relationships could be different, that trust can be different, that, mm -hmm. you know, because we're not even giving them a chance to see that there is another way that life could be led or that relationships can happen or that there is one of the things that we worked on a lot at our program was I was very determined that I wanted women to understand power dynamics 
And I wanted them to also understand authority dynamics. Now that was very controversial because people want to jump in immediately with this very narrow view of, well, don't act like a pimp, right? By telling her that there are rules, right? Yeah. And I said, no, here's what we have to do. And I think it's a a, a word for the church in general, uh, all of Christendom. We have to one, reclaim some vocabulary, right? Authority is not a bad thing. And and you and I and you've heard me say this. You cannot change culture without changing language. Right. And they've changed language. Right. And, and so, and we so were reclaiming determined. language mm-hmm. and, and vocabulary is essential. It is essential. So we talked very openly about what is benevolent authority, right? What is oppressive authority? What is benevolent? But authority on its own merit is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. It's biblical. Boundaries. Yeah. Right? Boundaries. Yeah. We want to jump in socially and say, oh, those are immediately oppressive. You are limiting my freedom. You're limiting my choices. Really? Because we put boundaries on the guy, the football player who broke his leg. Hmm? We're going to put a cast on that thing. We're putting boundaries on that because that is not strong enough right now to serve its function. Correct. So why we We've don't- got concussion protocol better now than ever. Heck, I had bleeding on the brain once because we want to protect football players, but we can't set boundaries to protect the child right. from a predator. Right. How twisted are we as a, our priorities? Completely upside down. Because the NFL makes money. Mm-hmm. Lots of money. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm. The value of a child. And it's so hypocritical because that child grows up to become a football player, potentially. And then all of a sudden, now he has value because mm-hmm. I can monetize him in a large degree. Or... I'm not going to protect the child when he's young because I can also monetize that child. But with protection mechanisms, I cannot monetize the child. Uh, uh, monetize the child, and so it's, it's. This is what I get back to: who's in charge? Because that the he who is in charge probably self-deified to mm-hmm. playing God, to create a, a construct where they can operate to their own desire, and the rules just change. The rules change play by play. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately, Gene, I have I, I track evil. For me right now, if you say, Yaku, what's the pinnacle of evil today? Where's Satan's where's he's the the you know, the silver bullet? You know, the armor piercing round. And if you had, you know, in, in your magazine one armor piercing round, where would you fire it? It's children. Mm-hmm. It is piercing society. It's like a target is on them because it's highly successful. Mm-hmm. It's imploding our culture and our society. If you have a conversation with a boy that's 10 years old in the classroom, and we fight, fight comprehensive sex ed, right? Mm-hmm. And we track this through Europe, Africa. If you ask a question of a boy that's 10 years old and you push a gender-neutral conversation onto the child, even if you just ask a question and you plant a seed, a seed will grow if it's fed. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do much. Mm-hmm. Just plant the seed. Good luck now getting that child, if sexually exploited, later on at 16, to adhere to healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. Good luck because you destroyed all boundaries. You told the child there's no boundaries. Make them up as you go. And now some predator said, thank you very much. Absolutely. You did my job Thank for you very me. much. Predator swoops in. Now the child actually gets exploited. The child gets rescued, runs away maybe. But now you go, okay, let's set healthy boundaries to keep you safe. No boundaries. Yeah. 
no boundaries, don't want boundaries, right? It's, it's, it's not going to work. It's imploding and it's imploding in front of our eyes. And I think that's why we're seeing the pressure in school curriculums. The gender, here we are, okay? We're talking about comprehensive sex ed comes in and they really targeted the 10-year-olds. And within a matter of 18 months, it went to kindergarten. Just like that. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, let's push. Let's push hard. Warp speed. Warp speed. And and now it's like, now you've got people saying, well, children should have sex at any age. I had someone on a show the other day. What? The sex is beautiful. I'm like, can we can we talk about abuse? Can we talk about what's healthy? And you talking about brain development. We know, and I look, I'll admit this. We marry up as men. Our wives are intelligent, super. We know the male brain doesn't fully form frontal lobe until 28. Mm-hmm. But we also know that now we're looking at porn entry, our boys age eight. That brain is not ready. Yeah. And I've said this all the time. The porn that an eight-year-old, a 10, 12-year-old watches today is not the porn my friends watched. Right. And how that content maligns the pathways within the brain, right? Creating these entrenchments that that just become a new trajectory for that that child, you know, I want to co- comment on what you said. I think there is such a um, a Christian and specifically b- biblical imperative for us to reclaim um, truth, right? I think it at the root of it. So, if I was going to say what's at the root of it, yes, I think the attack is on children, but I think it also um, the theme is on what is true. It's truth, right? What yeah. is what is true? Mm-hmm. That same survivor that I told you about that came forward and said, you know, say it again. So her truth, right, what she had been raised with uh, as as a child who was being exploited was her truth was her value was economic only. It wasn't in the development of any other part of her. And I remember one of the first things she said to me uh, when we were just starting our program is she said, can you say no? I'm thinking, I am a mom. Of course I can say no. And she goes, no, I mean, can you say no and mean it? Because if you can't say no... You don't really love us. And she's and that was that was a seminal lesson for me for mm-hmm. the next 15 years. That if if I am entrusted with any measure of your care, I have to steward no responsibly and in your best interest. And no might be, no, you can't do heroin here. Yeah. And no right? may hurt. And no may hurt. And no may be a season where you're gonna fight. Yeah. Right. Because you've had such like an indoctrination. A child. Yeah. Exactly. But just like God, who chastens whom He loves, right? That that there has to be this no to the world, or else we are completely untethered. And I think the hardest and most cruel thing that's happening right now is that kids are just being thrown out without a tether to to much. Right? They're not tethered to anything, and there's, and there's no anything. plumb line. There's no truth. Mm-hmm. There's no there's your truth, and there's no absolute truth. Unfortunately, even in the Christian community, people will say they're Christian. And the question with the Bible is absolute truth, right. and without a rudder, a ship is. I mean, you you're gonna wreck. I mean, it's not gonna happen. But no is the most powerful word in the English language, maybe in any language. No, the ability to say no and mean it. And probably what mm-hmm. she was asking you is, are you willing to say no? Absolutely. Are you willing to love me enough? That's what it is. To say no, because I promise you, my children expect me to set boundaries. 
It's only when I set boundaries that they can truly be free to grow because they can in, be in the moment and explore to their full capacity. Mm -hmm. They don't have to watch their six. Think about, am I get out of the car? Does dad park in a good spot? Are we in a bad neighborhood? Is dad walking me down the street in an area where we're vulnerable? They don't have to think about any of that stuff because it's my job. But imagine if I go to my seven-year-old and say, we're going to drive today. And you've got to pick the area in Dallas that's less dangerous. And dad's just going to drive to his zip code. And I go, and you better get it right. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, there could be serious damage to you and the family. What child can stand under that kind of responsibility and pressure? Well, that is opening the world as sex to a child saying, because, and this is what makes me so mad. People go, well, children should talk about sex. Here's what happens. For a fact, m my own work, when you normalize the conversation of sex with a child in the classroom, which is a figure of authority, it's mm -hmm. a teacher, it's mm -hmm. a parent, probably also a coach, mm -hmm. okay? Right. Counselor. You're normalizing the, the info share between an adult and a child. Now we're expecting that 10-year-old to go home and on TikTok when another adult completely now wants to engage in sex. Now, magically, this child has to now have the aptitude and, and the understanding to go, well, this adult I can talk to about sex, but not this adult. But that one is okay too, but not this one. Right, and right? how is that child supposed to navigate those differences? It's not happening. So you have now predisposed that child to every predator. And that's my argument for the people that go, well, we should, you know, we should teach the children younger and younger. I'm like, you're, you're awakening areas of the brain mm -hmm. that, by the way, produce hormones that was supposed to lay dormant until a certain time. There's a time and a place for everything, says God. Mm -hmm. You're speeding up the natural cycle of, of human evolution in this child's cycle of puberty. Now the brain is awake. Now that 10-year-old's looking at girls differently. The brain is firing and sending information and blood flow to areas. Sex hormones is starting to go and, and, and the child's off the rails. Mm -hmm. It's an accident waiting to happen. It's only by God's grace if a predator does not find that child. Amazing. A miracle if that's not true. Because, because you they, know anybody, they, like, it's like they're marked. That's right. Right. Almost a ferrum that can be smelled. A hundred percent. It's yeah. You know, I want to bring up something else that's a phenomenon that um, I, I think we're largely oblivious to, and that is the the shift away from identifying sexual exploitation trafficking as a triad. We we have for the last twenty years, right, gone to the classic. So there's the perpetrator, right? There's the buyer. There's the victim. Yeah. That's the triad. And for a season in this work, as you know, we had a big push towards go after the pimps, right? Mm -hmm. Go after the bad guy, and that's going to be. Then there's a whole camp of, no, 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 you got to go after the demand. Demand, yeah, right? the buyer. And so different camps. And I'm not disputing that yeah. we need to be working on all fronts. We also need to help the victims become less re-victimized, right? But what is fascinating about what's happening now, to your point about technology and sociology, is that the perpetrator, the the agent there, is getting written out of the story. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming a one-to-one -one commercial relationship. So dangerous. Streamline. When I have 
when I have law enforcement professionals who, back to your point about geography, these, these particular individuals were coming from rural America. And they were saying, we've got these kids who are out on these 150-acre farms or they're in these small towns, but they still have access to a device. Exactly. Which means they have access to everyone. And he said, I'll, I'll use, quote, one individual in particular. He said, the larger portion of the exploitation that I'm seeing with kids has nothing to do with a pimp and there's no van at Walmart nope. or any of that nope. kind of nonsense. Or kidnapping. There's none of that stuff happening. What we're having is here's a bored, perhaps impoverished 15-year-old girl who has access to a phone who can go on some app, right? And she can market herself, not having any concept of what fully her mm -hmm. dangers are. Yeah, no, in that no exposure. idea. No idea. And he says, what we've got is we've got guys who are willing to drive three hours out to this middle of nowhere. Two weeks ago, nine and a half hour drive to Frisco, Texas. Mm. By God's grace, he's caught, but nine and a half hour drive. To go so molest to, a child? Yeah. Mm -hmm. To your point, the child is global. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The child's global. Mm -hmm. The phone in her hand, the, forget about geography. Yeah. Right. So there's so much going in on that. Now, you know, my lens is keenly on, on the victims. And so I look at that and, and uh, I was working with this group in Baltimore that's a diagnostic center for children who are suffering with mental illness and whatnot. And he said, I've got six girls right now that have been trafficked and they all in the way he framed it was they all sold themselves now here's a completely different psychology mm -hmm. there's no other right there's nobody yeah. you don't yeah. blame not even blaming mom yeah. you're not even blaming they literally the sold themselves they sold themselves mm -hmm. but so when we talk mm -hmm. about things like authority and personal agency how does one walk out recovery when the evil is you? Mm -hmm. When you are your own nemesis? Completely different. I it mean, is a completely different it's, ballgame. It's flipped trauma and form therapy. It's flipped it, it upside down. flipped it upside down. And I think we are ill-prepared for, for dealing with the psychological effects of, and I saw, this, I, I saw this a lot, but I saw it more often in the girls who had become bottoms. Yes. Right. Yeah. That. And when we say that bottom girls, they 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 groom and recruit right. other girls. They become agents. Of they the, become of agents. The trade, yeah. Right. And this was the Ghislaine Maxwell role. Right. Quasi. Right. But it goes down all the way into kids grooming kids and, and uh, recruiting kids and bottom the bottom. Fifteen year old and, yeah. and the fourteen year old. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. What we're seeing in terms of the long term psychological effects, though, of of that, those experiences, I can separate from the evils that others did to me but I can't let go of the evils that I did to others. Because when you have to deal with that, it is, it is a spiritual and existential crisis mm -hmm. to realize that you're the monster. Which is why God's talking about sexual immorality. He says it, it is an abomination. And not, sin is sin. But if you look at the context of the Word of God, He says the sin against your own body. Mm -hmm. you, you can, not that you can detach from any of this, but it is, it is, woven into your fabric and if you've then as a child recruited and now caused another now people will say well y'all can see they're prostitutes and I'm like, whoa time out the 16 year old that just sold herself can't put that just on her 
culture today tells her that it's normal. Mm-hmm. She was probably grouped. She may have been abused, molested, but let's just say she was not. Let's just say no human be being. rare, but yes. Yeah, it would be very rare, right? We're going to see more of those cases today because they are driven towards that. They were driven towards exploring sexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. The, the show Euphoria where I told you they freeze frame and go, this is not rape. They're redefining rape. And I was saying off camera, I feel that morality or norm has been so redefined when it comes to sex that these kids don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. If she had not been abused or he, they're about to do something to put them in a place to experience abuse that they would not have had if culture did mm-hmm. not stand idly by as an onlooker and just sling mud at them and make life so difficult for them by saying, oh, we're going to ask the five-year-old you know, to experiment with multiple genders and have the gender-bred man. And let's, I mean, this is, they're ill-equipped to handle this. I mean, married couples struggle with sex. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a complex, it's extremely complex. Absolutely. Right? And, and yeah. you know, just like I tell people, we, we, did, we did a study in in the legal brothel system in the United States, which is Nevada, and only the few brothels in the strip is not legal in, mm-hmm. in the whole deal. And the whole legalization and you know, that nonsense. And that's a whole nother show. show. Okay. Or two or three. But then but then in the in the deep dive we do there, we go, wait a minute, over sixty, seventy percent of the women who are in legal brothels have gone to the police saying that they were raped. And then people go, Well, a prostitute cannot be raped. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go back to the word no. At any moment, any moment, when a human being says no, mm-hmm. no is no. Mm-hmm. But the support, so culturally, the lines have been so blurred that I feel like me, Christians particularly, look at this landscape and it's Mount Everest and they just go, uh, yeah. and we cave. Right. It's messy. We, because it's messy. How do we detangle this? You have to take a stand for your family. You start in your home, and we're focusing on the home. Now, granted, the perpetrator may be in the home. Right. And now somehow we have to message to that child to by, hopefully by the Holy Spirit find the bravery to to reach up from drowning outside the water, right, and say somebody. And that's so difficult. Mm-hmm. And when they come across our path, holding on to them is so difficult because they'll go back. And so because that's such a difficult landscape for me, we must go ahead and help heal the nuclear family in this country, the role and responsibility of a father. What is marriage? What is my role as a husband, as a wife? Young boys. I I, I just stood the other day and I said, what if, just what if, if I could dream for a minute, what if we could have this conversation with every 10-year-old boy? And I had it with one in language to his age. But to you, I'm going to speak frankly. And I said, do you want to marry a girl one day that's healthy? And the boy's like, yes. And I said, do you know what therapy is? Yes. I said, do you want to marry a girl that's permanently in therapy? No. Do you want to marry a girl that has many other boyfriends? No. Do you want to marry a girl that loves you? Yes. And I just went through this line of question, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, and it was for a while. Just dropping breadcrumbs. And then I come to the conclusion, I tell the boy, then don't you think you should treat every girl like she could potentially be the one that you're going to marry? 
And he goes, yes, that makes sense. And if we could get to a culture where we invest men and women, women and men, as if I better defend her, not just my sister, mm-hmm. because the insane notion is that, no, I'm going to sleep with every girl, but one day I'm going to marry a functional woman. Oh, she's not going to need therapy. Right. Oh, she's not going to, she was not abused. She's not going to cheat on me. She's Good not gonna, yeah. luck in this culture. Good luck, buddy, finding mm-hmm. that girl. Right. That's a needle in a haystack. That is a child that's coming from extreme intentional parenting in this culture. And so unless we turn the tide to where we take some ownership back and help our young men and our fathers to go, we did this. If we didn't actively participate, we participated by watching mm-hmm. and forfeiting inch by inch by inch. So for me, when, when people come in, and I don't want to rattle feathers here, but yeah, why not? Let's do it. Because that's me. Um, how many genders, Yaku? Two. Done. Or I'm a hypocrite. Or I don't follow the word of God. Now, does that mean I don't love someone? No, 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 no. The same word tells me I must. I can't cherry pick scripture. That's whole nother. I must love my enemy. Mm-hmm. But I cannot condone sin. Nor do I want someone who loves me to condone sin in my life. If they really love me, they'll correct me. Mm-hmm. If they don't, they don't love me. We have caused love in this culture to become a feeling. That's dangerous because now I can never correct you. And parents aren't correcting their children because I'm going to make them feel bad. And that they are in the belief system that that means you don't love me. So now we can't correct society. So it's like, what do you want? I believe there's 5,000 gen. I believe that we should rape four-year-olds. I believe, and people just say, okay, yes, because they're so afraid of offending somebody, not to offend, but to correct, that they just forfeit the conversation, Gene. Well, I think, and metaphorically, I think we're satisfied. You're starving. And so I'm going to be satisfied by giving you cotton candy and say, I did my job, right? But I'm not willing to put forth the effort to make sure that you have a bodily sustaining meal right? What you really well need. And so we, we've, we've relegated this, you know, I want to say, um, just in light of, of what you were sharing, my lived experience with survivors is one that has it, it just galvanized this work for me, not because I keep seeing the bad, the bad, the bad, what has truly anchored me. And what I think we need to realize is the is the true encouragement for engaging with your children with your children's friends with the strangers that God puts in your path right is when i when i'm sitting in a room of nine women who have been raped by their fathers who have been raped by countless men yeah. who have been abandoned who've been neglected who don't know what relationships are and we're just going through the book of hosea and they're bawling mm-hmm. because the idea that somebody would love me enough to chase me, to pursue me, to, and then, and this blew my mind, one of the most powerful moments in that exchange was in Hosea, it says, and I'm going to bring you back, Goomer, and I'm not going to be with you for a while. 
for them to understand that there could actually be this season of, of cleansing, of purification, of being made new, right? So that I can wholly in good conscience give myself to you. You will wholly and completely give yourself to me. And we're not bringing all of that stuff into That's the right. marriage with us. Yeah. But I'm watching people who have had experiences I can't even understand. And what they're clinging to is, could that be real for me? Mm -hmm. Could I have that? And isn't that the gospel message uh, ultimately? A hundred percent, yes. But I see it played out over and over and over again in these conversations about sexuality. You know, I, I kid you not, we, we would do things that maybe the outside world thought was really awkward. Whatever. Um, but for example, we showed a bunch of romantic comedies from the 40s and 50s. Yes. Brilliant. Oh my gosh. They would bring new vision. Without vision, people perish. Bring new hope. Exactly. It's possible. They would cry over somebody who just held hands. They said that didn't need anything. Yeah. When you have a 36 year old woman who says to you, I've never held hands. But had been, had will been, I ever have that? But had been sexually abused in every imaginable way you way. can imagine. Yeah, exactly. So I think we have to hold out the fact that you don't have to offer a lot no. to make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And anybody that engages in this work, if you cling to the fact that that child's fundamental desire is to be well fed, that child's fundamental desire is to be protected, not indulged. No. The child doesn't want no. to be in no. The child actually wants yeah. to know that when the lights go off, mm -hmm. I can go to sleep. Yes, I'm safe. Because I've got 36-year-old women who want to know when the light goes off, you've got this, right? Like, you've got this. Yeah. And they can sleep for the first time in their life. So I think that there is a lot of encouragement to be offered about... Um, more of us get engaging in this work, whether it's directly with victims or whether it's just talking to a 10 year old boy and saying, I know that there's all this stuff in the world, but what's the man you want to be? That's right. Right. Yes. What's the woman that you want to be? That's Ezekiel 33. And this same conversation that you're having and that's, that's flowing to you. We need to learn. We need to make it count. The master I follow. Jesus Christ says, I will use all things, every situation, doesn't cause it all, but will use all of it to the greater good of my kingdom. So then I must too. Mm -hmm. When I engage with a survivor and I'm learning information like you're learning, I just want to hold hands. I must take that information and now go to the part of society that had not been exploited yet and said, you must put value mm -hmm. in fundamentals. Yep. You must put value in courtship, yep. in structure, in unconditional love, in correction, in discipline. Well, how do you know it's valuable? Because those who did not have it, who were destroyed, Yearn for it. are crying from the future mm -hmm. to you in the now yes. and say, please pay attention. If you would only mm -hmm. hold on dear to these values. You will not walk the way I walk. And through that, we as a culture redeem them. We make it count. You know, people say, people get lost when they don't know why tragedy happened to them. The second you help someone understand that the tragedy actually can be redeemed to a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. 
That's right. They walk through it. Absolutely. They muscle up. But it's when they lost and this happened to me and this is me, I'm defined and this I'm stuck, they they just they drift into oblivion. So if we can take these basic principles, and it's basic, I hear you, it's basic. It's like train our daughters what real love is. Physically model it, you know, feed them real food. Real right? food. Based on what? Based on the words of their testimony. That you, that's coming from, you know, I'll never forget, Dan was with me. We went to a, a safe house, a shelter. And I can mention her name because she's spoken to me. Other, and her name's Rebecca. And we met Rebecca, 27 years old. She was a mom of a six-year-old, had never seen her child. Pimp took the child and just basically left the child on a, on a porch somewhere. And, in, in a, mm-hmm. and this week, Rebecca was going to be reunited with the child because Rebecca was about to graduate, right? But still... Although she's graduating a 24-plus-month program, the day I met her was the week that she was going to meet her child for the first time, and she also got a job that week at, hmm. Mac- at McDonald's. Wow. Okay? She grabbed me by the hand and spoke to me in the voice of a 12-year-old and said, come, let me show you my room. Mm-hmm. It's purple. Purple's my favorite color. And I want people to understand reversing that level of trauma cannot be our solution indefinitely we must understand the significance of preventing and protecting people or helping people have children and environment so that they do not now praise god for people like gene ellard there's not many but for doing what you're doing because we must leave the 99 Mm -hmm. and go after the one we must by God, can we try to not let the one get away in the first place also? And yes, when the prodigal comes back, fat calf rope, ring on the finger, and royalty, and speak into their lives again. But man, as fathers for the men, this is my call on men. The, the American father and the man, we have absolutely failed our culture according to the word of God because we've looked at other idols and shiny objects and we've gone away from the fundamentals. Because you can stop any American man today and go, what's the fundamentals of football? Oh, protect the football. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yes, you don't protect the football, you lose the game. So where's protect the child? Mm-hmm. Like the football. Yeah. Do the basics well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do the basics well. Don't introduce craziness. Yeah, like gender confusion and whatever else. Back to the basics. So last word to you, Jean. And I could talk for nine and a half hours with you and, and never run out. We threatened that to Dan. I'm thinking of, by now people will know what the title is, but in my mind, you said something before the show. From incest to commercialization. Mm-hmm. Are we really there mm-hmm. as a culture? Yeah, we're there. We're there. We have to wake up and acknowledge it. I'm not going to be hyperbolic and say, oh my gosh, it's in every neighborhood in America and it's right next door. And I'd like to stop that. No. Right. But it is as wrong to cup our ears and shield our eyes and say, we're not willing to see what's out there. Um, That's what I hope this study does is help people actually see that there is there is another level of evil. There's another level of this wickedness. Um, and maybe for some, it's an invitation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to not Pollyanna this, but I want to I twist it enough. 
I've I've seen in the 15 years that I've been in this issue that there are people who want to engage, but they distance themselves on purpose. Maybe they're afraid, right? But they distance themselves. They find something in this issue that allows them an excuse card to not engage, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, well, you're going to just tell me that this happens to impoverished kids and I'm affluent, so I can't relate. There's a disconnect, yeah. It can, whatever. Yeah. I mean, they can pick up something really light or they can just say, I've never experienced child abuse and so therefore I can't and whatever. I think that that's, that's a huge error. What I think is exciting about the potential for where we are is it's so bad in so many areas that it's a wide invitation to engage. What do you care about? What breaks your heart? We've talked about so many different related topics today. Pick one. Yeah, just one. Pick one and yeah. go for that. You yeah. know, the Lord led me to say, I want these women to see their value. I want them to be strong, courageous women speaking their voice. That's where he put me. It's not where you need to be, right? You're the watchman on the wall. You've got a different job. I got to warn. Yeah, what's coming? Yeah. But I was recently on a a radio program that is by men for men. And they were kind of teasing the fact that they even allowed me in their little club. But uh, And it was a terrific broadcast because we brought the whole thing back to if you do nothing else, then go home and raise your daughter. Yes, I actually argue that's the change that I actually happen. argue that's the only way we turn this country back. I think it is. The only way we turn this not some human being walking into the White House and with some magical scepter and we physically stood in the White yeah. House together. Yeah. No man has that power, right. but God has given authority to the corporation of the family, the network of the family and family by family. If we think that someone else is going to raise your child, mm-hmm. someone else is going to defy, define family and marriage, they will. Yeah. You give them that right, they will. Well, I'll tell you a super quick story. I've got a colleague right now, and she's got two teenage daughters. One's getting ready to go to college. One is a couple of years hence, and she's working with the younger one about getting a job. Her peer, right, her 16-year-old peer, is talking her out of getting a commercial job. Because she says, girl, just go online and sell pictures of your feet. You'll make a lot more money. Unbelievable. So here's a mom who has now become aware of the fact that she can, being the adult in the room, Mm -hmm. she can see that it's not about feet. Yeah. Right? She gets it. Yeah. She does not need, the child doesn't necessarily have to understand every permutation of that particular request. The gateway, yeah. Doesn't need to see, but... That's your engagement, right? When that thing, whatever that is for your listeners, for your, right? When that thing crosses the threshold of your door, that's your call to engage. The time is now. Yep. That's That's when you fortify. That's literally, literally. And again, I tell people, you believe in the word of God? Good. You don't, you'll see. The rocks will cry out. Just good luck on the journey by yourself. It's going to be a tough one. Again, Jesus himself draws a line in the sand. Mm Mm-hmm. We are there mm-hmm. as a as a country, as a culture. We are we have been there to take ownership of our families. And maybe someone's watching this, and they are a perpetrator in the family. Mm-hmm. Or if they're not perpetrating in their family, think about this for a second. In someone's family, you're perpetrating in someone else's family. 
when you watch their child's porn, mm -hmm. when you go and meet their child somewhere. And so the, the fabric of family, the institution of marriage, the nuclear family. The role of the parent. The as role the of the adult. parent as the as. As I know that's another show. Yeah, but but here we go now. You know, parents, if you're a parent today and you're not yet facing this on the threshold of your door, but you yourself were exploited and you had never gotten help, go get help right now. Because Agreed. because it will pass down. It, 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 somehow it's going to it's going to disable you from being functional should your child need it or should culture push against you you're not going to be able to be healthy enough to push back so gene wow you're amazing god bless you thank you, thank you for for just being a friend and thank you for all your input how you guide us and our organization too and just so many so many um benefit from your your efforts um speak blessing over you thank you um pray for gene please amazing work and uh may this study make it into the right hands and i'm going to do everything we can it needs to go to to law enforcement academia people need to understand because this is this is gold well and that's your role right your yep. role is to amplify yep. and so i appreciate what you do yep. to help get this word out and, and we will great yeah Thank we you. will the study is important we have it online and then we'll just hey i'll force feed it to people if i have to i mean look at this See you guys next time. Thank you.